Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches, the show whose name has been copied more times than I can count, but never as good as the original. And speaking of original, quick shout out to all my OG listeners out there who have supported this podcast since 2012. Wow, that's a long time. You guys are the best, and I appreciate you. And you're the reason I keep coming back and dishing out these podcast interviews. So thank you for being there with me from the beginning. And a special shout out to podcast listener Trevor Oldham for his five-star iTunes review. Trevor had this to say about In the Trenches. Quote, highly recommend In the Trenches to any entrepreneur. Tom is a fantastic host and brings along some awesome guests to his audience. If you're an entrepreneur who's looking to gain a new skill set, then this is the podcast for you. Thanks, Trevor. You have tremendous taste in podcasts. And speaking of tremendous things, today's broadcast is just that. And that's because I sit down with David Jennings, a friend of mine who I've known online for many years, and I've seen grow from modest beginnings to working with Michael Gerber, the internationally renowned entrepreneur and author of The E-Myth. And on today's call, David and I discuss his latest book, Systemology, which is all about how to scale business profits using proven business systems. So systemology is an industry agnostic methodology, but it's specifically tailored to those of you who are solopreneurs and or are looking to turn early startup success into a repeatable process that can scale with you. My big takeaway, a business is a series of systems. If you don't have systems, you don't have a business, period. Now, don't worry if you've been running and gunning up to this point to get started, kind of like I did when I was first getting started with this podcast, with my blog, with my books, with my publishing company, and with the other companies that I've since started and launched, and really with every project I've ever done, a lot of times I will come at it running and gunning because I'm kind of a startup guy. But I will say that once that startup phase is over, you do have to create systems around what you're doing. And this podcast is all about that. And so I won't give away too much But I will say that as you'll go through this, you'll notice that I'm taking notes as I'm listening and I hope you do the same. And I think what you'll notice is that as I'm taking notes, and and I think I say this on the call, this is something that I've implemented in my businesses. And so that I know the methodology works. I know it's effective. And even if you're small, you're starting with just a company of one, or if you only have a few employees, these are definitely the steps you want to be taking kind of right now to set the stage for future success for your business. Get the systems and processes in place, the ones that are critical, get those in place now. Because again, unless you have systems in your business, you do not have a business. So I'm gonna leave it at that for now. And without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So David, let's go back to the uh, Michael Gerber story. How did this begin? Uh, I believe you reached out to me with some questions, but maybe even a little bit back before then, how you got in touch with Michael Gerber and where that's led you since. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. That, that was the last time I reached out to you because whenever I am working on any high-level project, I come to Tom, you know, like my sage words when I need it. Uh, so I think the last time we chatted and go back, but just before that, I, was, I owned a digital agency, Melbourne SEO Services. I'd heavily focused on systemizing it after finding out that we were pregnant and I thought, oh, I don't want to be that dad who's always too busy and doesn't have time for the kids. So I need to get myself out of the business because I was working the you know, 70-hour work weeks, evenings, mornings, weekends, like any business owner doing the side hustle, getting it up and running. And uh, it got to this point where I thought, right, I've got to have a change. I went really deep on systemization, read all the books, Traction, E-Myth, Built to Sell, Scaling Up, and 
I, I applied what I could and then I hired a CEO. That was a big game changer for me. She started to run the business and uh, I, I stepped out of the operations. And it was really weird. In that month of me stepping out, it was like the universe went, ah, and the clouds parted and the lights shone down on me like, okay, you are ready now for a really big project. And I get this email out of the blue from someone called Luz Delia Gerber. Now, I didn't know the first name, Luz Delia, but I definitely knew the surname Gerber because um, I was familiar with the e-myth and a certain Michael Gerber that wrote that book, very well known in the business space. If you haven't read it, read it, definitely check it out. And it, all the email said was call me. And I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. And they, she put in her phone number and uh, I knew the Gerbers, they were in the US, they're on the West Coast. So I just picked up the phone and called and uh, had a chat with Liz Delia. And I said, oh, yeah, uh, you know, it's Dave calling up from Australia. How can I help? And she said, oh, I've just been watching some of your videos. I don't know how I came across your material, but I watched you do the book launch for my first book, um, Authority Content. And she said, I loved the book launch. And she said, Michael has uh, just turned 80. He's written the final book in his E-Myth series called uh, Beyond the E-Myth. And I know if you're listening to audio, you can't see this, but I'm holding up the book. And uh, she said, uh, I loved what you did. Uh, for the first time, we've decided to self-publish because all of the previous books have gone through HarperCollins. But Michael now is starting to think about legacy. You know, he's uh, 80 years old and he's thinking about where his work is going to go and maintaining rights and ownership and control. So we want to self-publish. And for whatever reason, we think you're the guy. And I said, well, I, I don't really do book launches. I can. Um, I think that the first book launch I did, which was authority content, which was another book, Tom, that I reached out to you to get your help with. So every time I seem to launch a book, I, I chat with Tom and, uh, I said, well, yeah, I'm happy to do it. And she said, okay, but there's a catch. The catch is you're going to have to work like the book launches in three months. Now from a book launch perspective for something of that scale with Michael, uh, I knew this was going to be an absolute truckload of work. And they had a specific deadline that they were working towards. So it was going to be full-time for me. Um, we're talking re working ridiculous hours. And I said, look, I'll do it um, and I'll volunteer for the position. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just like the opportunity to work with Michael and um, get his mentorship. And I worked on that for three months, solid and uh, I, it was almost like a dream project for me. I was in a fortunate situation. I just systemized the agency. Melissa had been taking over and running it. And I thought, what a great way to test all of our systems to see if I could completely step out, work on this project uh, and let her do her thing and I could do my thing. And the Michael Gerber name just opened doors just like that. I just had to mention Michael Gerber and people were falling over themselves to interview him and do write-ups and things like that. Um, I suppose to compress a long story short, the book launched incredibly well. We got an Amazon bestseller in, in 24 hours in the business category. It kind of went up all the way up the categories to the top. Uh, and then um, for, for the final thing, he was running an event uh, called The Dreaming Room in Carlsbad, California. And he said, oh, look, I'd like you to come over and attend that event because it was just the right timing with the book launch. So I hopped on a plane and flew over um, I, and I had called in a few favors. Uh, Tom was definitely uh, one of the people I called in the favors from as we was doing that launch. And I had a few other friends that uh, I, I had helped with various pieces. 
actually rented this house on Carlsbad, California from Airbnb. It was one of those Mac Daddy houses hanging off the side of the rock overlooking the ocean. Uh, And we all stayed there for the week and attended this Dreaming Room event. And then it got to the end of the event and uh, they asked me to stay on. They had a two-day mastermind afterwards because Michael um, wanted to bring the who's who of business together to get them um, to talk about his future legacy and, and what he should be doing. They wanted to get Tony Robbins, of all people, to facilitate the group. But at the 11th hour, um, uh, that they couldn't get, my, uh, couldn't get Tony uh, and they didn't have a facilitator. So I stuck up my hand and I said, can I facilitate the group? And they said, yeah, okay, <laughs> why not? Um, so I ended up facilitating this group for um, the, the two days afterwards. Here we are sitting in Michael's presidential suite in this swanky hotel in Carlsbad, California. Uh, and uh, at the end of it, uh, Luz Delia said, would you like to run the company? And my jaw absolutely dropped to the floor. She just said, we loved what you did. Now, timing-wise, it, it wasn't right for me. I would have had to have moved to the States, got a young family, my wife, no way she would have left the family uh, here in Australia. So I had to say no. Uh, but it was at that moment I was like, wow, I, I, the real power of systems kind of presented themselves to me where it's what systems really allow is they create space for the business owner to follow opportunities when they fall in their lap. Because every, you know, whether it's every day, every month, every year, there, there are different opportunities coming past uh, the business owner. Some they're aware of, some they're not aware of. They're just so focused on doing the work. But I suppose the question to ask yourself is if you're Oprah, came and knocked on your door and said, I would love to work with you, um, you know, the Oprah of your industry. I would love to give you a dream project. Most business owners uh, wouldn't be able to take advantage of that opportunity because they're too busy in the business. And they're like, well, I can't leave the business. The business doesn't work without me. Um, so they would have to turn down, let alone if they, they might not have even seen the opportunity because they were so focused. Uh, and that really sparked a fire in me, like that whole Gerber story and set me off on a, just a chain reaction. Like a, a, the first domino was knocked over and it um, yeah, got me investigating a whole bunch of things and led to systemology and some of the work that I'm doing with System Hub. Um, and yeah, it was, I, learned, I learned so many things from working with Mike and we still work together at the moment. Like I've just, I'm coming out with a book, uh, as we know, we'll talk about a bit later, systemology, but uh, Michael ended up writing the forward to the book and called it extraordinary uh, and is getting behind it. And um, that would have never happened if I hadn't got to the point where my business was systemized and running without me. There's a few things I'd like to just point out and maybe they're worth discussing or just pointing out and then we move on to the next thing. But it's a couple of things were just like light bulbs for me as I listened. It was like, one is working for free. It's like, I did that. I've done that myself too. I was also particular about who it was. And the whole purpose behind it was that I'd build up experience, track record, and learn from somebody that I thought was like, you know, at, at the elite level, so to speak. And, and then because of that, the same thing happened to me in my life. I really feel like it was like it opened all these doors. A lot of things opened up doing that kind of stuff that has since paid dividends. And yet I still see people these days like suggesting to other people that they shouldn't work for free. Listen, I don't think you should work for free, but maybe you should take on a project and maybe put yourself entirely into it. If you have the ability to do it pro bono for the right kind of person, I don't know of a better accelerator, honestly, than, than something like that because of the goodwill that it generates too, if done right. Um, 
I just think to myself, there's no, I don't know how you could ever lose that relationship then with Michael Gerber, unless you yourself like wanted to destroy it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you've hit the nail on the head. The more that I've started to realize and the longest I've, I've realized in business, life is actually quite non-linear. So as much as, and I'm a systems guy, right? So I think step one, step two, step three, step four, and I do that to prepare and get ready, but non-linear events that you can't explain, you can't plan for, you can't predict. Someone is going to see something that you put out into the world. Someone's going to say something. Someone's going to connect you with the right person. You're going to be in the right place at the right time. You, you can't orchestrate it, but you can be ready for it. And that's really what it's about. When, because it's, there is no way that I could have leapfrogged as many levels as I have just going the linear route. So it's, yeah, I, I think um, watching for those opportunities and being ready to take them is the quickest way because the, the, you, it's like snakes and ladders. It's like I landed on the ladder square and I just went up 50 levels rather than going around all the steps. I could have gone around to the steps and I was going around the steps. I was going to get to the top of the snakes and ladders board. It was just going to take me forever. But now I kind of jumped 50 levels. So interesting because not to get into it, but yeah, I don't really think time's linear anyway. So I'm, I'm just like nodding. I'm like, yeah, I get that, you know? But, uh, but when I hear it, I'm just like, yeah, it's crazy. It's like the other thought is like, I remember I had Jordan Peterson on the um, podcast like a year or two ago. And it was like, one of his quotes that I always really liked was like, when you do something along the lines of like, invisible doors will open. And it's a good way to put it. It was like, when you start doing these things, invisible doors will open. And so it's always stuck with me. And it's like, yeah, I do. I see that all the time because in my life and the people that I coach or consult with, they're just friends, peers. You know, when I see people hustling, do it with the right attitude, the right aim. If the crazy things that befall, like that just opportunities that present themselves or open up, and they probably wouldn't... What's so interesting about that is I doubt there's... And I know this would get a little too woo-woo if we went into it, but like that email probably wouldn't have come if you hadn't gotten that, that CEO in place. You know what I mean? I believe there's something to that. Like maybe there's like almost like something cosmic a little bit about it. You know? <laughs> I, I, I have this friend uh, going back many years ago when I was single before I met my wife. I had a, a girlfriend who was, or, you know, a friend that was a girl and she had commented. She said, oh, it was weird. It was a little bit woo-woo because she's like, how do you sleep in the bed? Because she knew that I was looking to find someone. And I said, you know, I'm kind of sitting like this in the middle of the bed. Uh, and then she said, well, you're not really creating space for having another person. Talk about woo-woo. She was kind of like, move over to the edge of the bed to make sure that there's space there for another person. But I, who knows? It, it, it could have been very much uh, on the money. I, I think you have to create the space for the opportunity and the universe to gift you something. Like you, you, you kind of have to allow it to happen. You allow it. And you, but I also think there's something to be said for in so much as you can earn a thing, to earn it as well. And, and it's not exactly earning the thing because that comes into the linear play. It's like, again, that's a, a lot. Some people are good at that game and can play it and climb up the ladder, even in their day job. And it's like, you can earn it that way or whatever, playing by those rules. But like, even in the way you earned it, it wasn't, again, you didn't know that that was the prize or that that was the thing. You didn't know that was that what you were going for. But all the efforts that you put in, all the things that you put into, not only did it create that uh, opportunity, but you had all the skills in place to confidently probably take that call and say, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, because you, you, you had earned it before it ever got presented to you. And it's almost like that's probably, I think, a little bit of a lesson for people too. Keep earning it, keep working for it. You don't know when it's going to come, but man, the things do come. Yeah. And, uh, and I would have done 
what I would have done, whether or not that Gerber job had fallen in my lap or not. And similarly, whether or not anything came off the back of the three months with Michael, I still would have done it again. Like I had people who were like, are you crazy? You you should be charging him to do this. And uh, for me, I saw it as an opportunity. I didn't know the doors that it was going to op- uh, open afterwards, but I thought, I'm just going to do it anyway, because I think it's the right thing to do. I think I'm going to learn a lot. Uh, and I think there are, you know, who knows where it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Great story. It's like, again, you know, take it or leave it for those who are listening. It's not, I'm not suggesting, and I know you aren't either, but I know I brought that up. I wanted to zoom in on it because I can see how that can be perceived as crazy. I get it. You know, I'm like, so I'm like, I wanted to point it out because I think it's cool that you understood that. You're not naive. You had just built a business. You had just optimized it to the point where you could kind of hand it off. You understand what your your works, your 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 worth and what your work is worth, so to speak. You know, you're not naive or ignorant to any of this, and yet you made that choice. I think that's a conscious decision. I think that's worth highlighting. I thought that was fascinating. So you did it. Success. They actually offered you the position to run the company, wild. But you've gone and you've built this thing called System Hub. And I know you have now published this book, Systemology. And I can only imagine that you've learned a lot of things from Michael that have made it into this. But maybe you can break down... Maybe we'll get to the software in a bit. Maybe break down the book, the premise of the book. And then I'd like to kind of go into that. Like, what is this and how do we apply it to our businesses? Yeah, there's definitely... And I want to touch on one key lesson that I did learn from... Michael, which uh, has been a little bit of a game changer. I'll get that out now while it's still fresh, which is this idea yeah. that uh, you wouldn't expect it. It's, it's almost like the dirty little secret of Michael Gerber. Uh, and uh, Michael's listening to this, it's uh, said with love. Uh, he's not actually uh, a systems person, as in he doesn't like creating detailed systems and processes, yet he understands the value of it. And it gave me this light bulb moment that most business owners, startup, um, they are like that. They are not systems thinkers. That's why it becomes such a blind spot for them because they they picture people. They see some problem out there in the world. They decide that they want to go out and solve that problem. And then they get going and they hustle. And to get something off the ground, you have to jump quickly and move quickly. There's no time to create systems and processes and figure things out. And then for that, they even build the business up to a certain level of success. They might get some team members around them, but they start to train their staff that whenever you've got a problem, oh, you just, you know, you go to John because John knows how to solve the problem, the business owner. uh, And they then reinforce this behavior for the staff to always go back to them. They're the knight in the shining armor. And then it traps them further and further in the business because everything depends on them. Clients depend on them. Staff depend on them. And then it's very challenging to break that habit because they start to build up this culture. And that's where you always see a lot of businesses. They'll grow and then they'll hit this ceiling. And I was there too in the digital agency. I got stuck in that agency for 10 years because I had all of this baggage around business systemization. And I thought, I don't want to you know, systemize the business. I'm not really a systems person. Even if I systemize, my team isn't going to follow the systems. I was worried by creating systems that I'd remove the creativity in the business. I thought I'd have to create tons of systems. I thought I'd have to be the one that creates the systems. I thought that I had to um, systemize like McDonald's and create these big, thick manuals. Like I had all of this baggage. And then when I realized uh, I was kind of missing the point. Systems are such a valuable piece 
of business, uh, yet most business owners never nail it. And the, the secret is you don't have to like love systems. You just have to respect the result that they give you and then find the person on your team, the yin to your yang who does love systems and processes, who is going to help you get that into place. Uh, and that, that is so liberating to know that it's okay if you're not a systems person, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't not systemize your business or that you can't systemize your business. So many business owners just reach the point where they just go, oh, I'm just not a systems person. And then they just don't follow it. So it's, that was a big catalyst for, for I mean, the systemology work um, and, and it's here to bust a bunch of those different myths. Like I, w- I want to make it okay for business owners to say, it, it's okay that you haven't systemized till now, but there is a process. It doesn't have to be you. It's not time consuming. We're not going to try and systemize you like, you know, using Six Sigma, which was designed for hundred person companies, manufacturing, like that just doesn't work for small business. Small business is different. You have to 80-20 it, find the 20% of the systems that move the 80% of the needle. Like that, that's the aim of the game. So systemology, it's, yeah, create time, reduce errors, and scale your profits with proven business systems. So I, let's get into this. There's a couple questions I have. One is on the systems themselves. Like how do we even approach that subject? Is there a starting point? And do you have like a process for like, we'll say evaluating business and understanding like, where the systems need to be put in place. Because when I think about my own, I'm like, well, we have support, we have tech, we have copy and da 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 And every business has their own thing. You know, if it's client-based, it's, you know, the whole slew of things. And the second question I want to get at, we'll obviously start with the first one is, how then do we hire for that? Because let's say I am the big picture guy and I don't want to be implementing these systems, even though I see the value in them. How do I get somebody to come and do that? So let's start yes. with the first one though. Let's talk systems first. Yeah. Um, and of course I have a system for systemizing, like the whole (laughs) systemology, the systemology is the system for systemizing your business. So the first question that you had is the first question that I answer in the book. So it's how do you identify of the hundreds of things you could systemize? What are the handful of things, uh, for where you should start the 10 to 15 systems that really move the needle? To do this, anybody can do this. You don't even need to get the book when it comes out. Um, get yourself an A4 bit of paper um, and have it down in front of you. And I'm going to walk you through an exercise I call the critical client flow. In the top left-hand corner, um, think about who is your dream client. Uh, so this is the person who uh, pays your advertised products, uh, like your advertised prices Um, They love the work that you do. They come back. They happily refer people. That's your dream client. You write that in the top left-hand corner. Next thing that you do is think about the core product or service uh, that would be a great starting point for that dream client. So what is the introduction, the gateway, if you will, uh, into your business and what it is that you're offering, the perfect starting point for them? And then we just work down this uh, A4 page uh, in a linear fashion. And and this is what the critical client flow is. It's the journey that both you and the, the, you as the business and the customer go through. So we want to start off at the top of the page and we think, how do people become aware of your business? What, how do you get their attention? And you might list out 
um, SEO and um, AdWords or appearing on podcasts or running newspaper magazines. Only list out uh, the things that you're actually doing. Don't list out what you would like to be doing. Let's just list out what you're actually doing. Then you kind of move down the page. Next one is um, how do you respond when an inquiry comes in? You know, it'll come via email, web, phone. Now, each of these boxes that you're drawing, you don't want to put more than one or two words in them. It really is initially about simplicity to get the clarity on the systems you'll need to create. So only one or two words in each box. The next one down, once uh, you've responded to the inquiry, what does the sales process look like? Yeah. Can I pause you right there real quick with the, how do you respond to, because I'm, I'm going through this live, by the way, everybody listening. So you should too. Um, when you go through the, how do you respond to the inquiry? What are some examples of what that could be? And does this apply to different sorts of businesses or does this only apply to specific? So it'll apply to any business. Every business I've worked with always has some critical client flow, but you may need to make modifications, particularly when we get down to either, you'll see in a moment, delivery or the sales process, it's going to be different from an e-commerce business where you're hitting add to cart versus a service-based business where you might have a sales process and sending out a proposal. But, but there's still a, a, a critical client flow in both businesses. Um, as far as- and does this work for multi-sided marketplaces too? Um, for, for such as like, okay, so I'm thinking to myself, if I have the customer on one hand who buys and, oh, so some like, uh, you know, Etsy, yeah. so the producer and then the, the customer and this is kind of, cause can it be applied to that too? It, it'll work for any business. You'd have to start off with, cause you've got in a marketplace, two sides to the equation. Yep. So you'd have to start with one side first. Yep. So you okay, would look for what is the bottleneck in the business? Is it, Hey, I need to get people on which side of the marketplace? Where, where are you going to struggle the most? Um, and then in answer to the other question, which is uh, it's really just about, we're not uh, looking to describe how it's done at this point in time. It's just identification. So when it comes to responding to the inquiry, you might literally just write web, email, um, phone, or whatever it is. You can just put a couple of words in the box. You don't need to go beyond that. How would you respond to an inquiry that has come from one of those lead generation methods above? Got it. Okay. Keep working down the page after the uh, inquiry comes in. Next is uh, your sales process. And there might be, you might break this up into a few different um, like components, depending on how your sales process works. You might say, uh, we have a qualification. Someone first does a little bit of qualification before they chat with them. Next down, we book a Zoom meeting. Then the next down after that, I send out a proposal. Um, whatever that journey looks like, and you might go, oh, and then we follow them up. So you just think, again, each box is one step in this critical client flow. Then the next box underneath that is thinking, when someone... Uh, is ready to go and they say, I'm happy to buy. What happens next? It's usually money. So do you invoice half up front and half on completion? Do you take all payment? Do you, how does that work? If there's payment, you just reference it there. The next one under that is um, how do you onboard the client? Once they've said, yes, we're right to go. How do you, is there a survey they fill out? Are they, do you enter them into your project management platform? Whatever that might be. And then you move down um, next one to the delivery, which is the actual doing of the work. 
Now, that's usually, just think high level for now, because that will be the most complex typically of all of these. But we're not looking at explaining them. This is really just bullet points at this point in time. And then then under delivery, the last one is handover or getting them to you know repeat and come back. So what we've just done on that one page is identified the way that the business can make money for the dream client for the primary product or service. So we have to start somewhere in systemization. Now, if you can systemize the critical client flow to the point where it works without the business owner or any person dependency, you've just created a scalable money machine. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Like you said, maybe for a marketplace, you might have to do two critical client flows because you've got two sides and you really, one doesn't work without the other. But that, that would be more the exception rather than rule. Most people can define their business on one page. Now, that one page will become our roadmap for the systems that we create. We can narrow in further depending on the problems that you're having in the business. So I always find, I say every problem in business relates back to systems. So if you tell me I don't have enough leads, well, you probably don't have enough you know, attention-grabbing systems. If you say, I can't convert um, you know, the leads that I'm getting, well, you maybe have a sales problem. If you say, I have customers who are following me up every second day saying, where's the project? And they're always on the phone and they're frustrating. I'll say, look, you probably don't have a very good onboarding system that sets the expectation, lets the client know the timeline and gives them structure around how they communicate with you. If you're like, hey, projects keep blowing out and you know they go beyond scope and then they end up costing me an arm and a leg, well, I can say, I bet your delivery system's pretty rubbish. So it's a matter of you do the critical client flow first and then listen to your business and think about the problems that you've got. And then within the critical client flow, navigate into those. Just focus on, uh, as we go through the systemology process, we need to get this down first before we think about all the other systems you could create. Yes, you might need recruitment systems. Yes, you might need systems that handle your your payroll. Yes, you might need systems for um, management. Like There's tons of things in business you could systemize, but if you just focus on the critical client flow, what ends up happening is you get enough momentum where you get a positive result and then you go, oh, this systems thing works. And I can actually see the positive impact on my business because where some people get stuck is they start the journey, they do a little bit of it, they don't see an immediate result, and then they don't follow all the way through. And then they say, oh, I'm not a systems person. So that's step one in systemology, we call it define, and it uses the critical client flow to do it. Okay, awesome. So I think this is all pretty straightforward because I've been going through with it. So I don't have, I don't need to expand. I don't think I on any of that stuff because I think it's it's pretty straightforward. I like that you clarified the double sided marketplace. That makes sense because I think to myself, with well, obviously with what, what I'm doing, you know, there's like there's two pieces of the puzzle. So um, it's it's interesting. I can see how I can break that down in the systems I do have in place for both, kind of the like, like the customer side, um, and then you know the producer side, like you know in that Etsy style marketplace, for instance. Okay, so once you define all that, what what happens next? Step number two, which would be uh, a sign. So this comes back to the idea that we want to take the business owner out of the equation as much as possible. And it also speaks to when is the right time to systemize. Uh, If you are still a solo operator and it's just you and you you don't really have a team around you, you haven't got product to market fit, uh, you don't 
you haven't got traction, you haven't got uh, feedback from clients or repeat business, uh, then it's too early for you to systemize because you've got to first figure out all of, you know, your product to market fit. There's no, no point in trying to create systems if you haven't yet figured out who your target audience is and the core product and service that you can sell them that solves an actual problem that they have, that they want to pay for. Uh, Not only that, you've got to get the traction to figure out what's working. Because when we come to the assigned stage, uh, once you've got probably, you know, maybe three staff and up, and it's not even necessarily full-time, it could be part-time, it could be contractors, you need to have at least a few people that you're working with on a regular basis to service that dream client. Um, if you've got that in place, then what we start to think of is who on the team has the knowledge for how to do some of the steps or all of the steps outlined in the critical client flow. Where possible, we want to make sure it's not the business owner as much as possible. Um, because the way that I think about it, if we can. Uh, sometimes in some businesses, you know, you might have a sales guy who sells better than anyone else. And if we can just model what he's doing and get everybody up to that standard, that's a sufficient win. So rather than trying to re-engineer something right from the ground up or make it just right or just perfect, we first capture what it is that you're already doing. That's why I said in the critical client flow, we're not looking at adding in things you would like to be doing. Let's just first figure out, well, what is the best we're doing in the business, doing that piece? Who's doing it? You know, if it's answering the inbound inquiry, maybe it's the receptionist. We get them to capture what are they doing. So, and at least we move everything up to there. So it's, we can start to, at times, take the business owner out of the process. So a sign is about uh, also having some insight that, Customization is a two-person job. There's the person with the knowledge and then there's the person who does the documentation. And we talk a bit more about that in the next stage in the extraction phase. But the fact is, as a business owner, you're busy and even your best team members are busy. So we want to make the process as easy as possible. Not only that, not everybody is a systems person and most people don't get excited by the idea of documenting their processes. And if you say to them, hey, can you document your process? They'll go, yeah, okay, I'll put it on the to-do list. But everything is more important than creating a system. So they'll never get to it. So so one of the keys as we move into the next step um, is making the process as easy as possible, uh, not only for the business owner, but for the team as well. So that second stage is identify where the knowledge is. We put it on a spreadsheet. We list out everything we covered in the critical client flow. We assign a person next to it. And then on some of the stages, um, you like, let's say for one of the things um, for grabbing attention was SEO. Now, SEO is a really big topic. How the heck are you going to systemize that complete topic? But you might go, again, it's, we find the repeatable piece that is central to getting that done. You might go, oh, it's creating blog posts. Okay. Well, that is the piece that we're going to go in the SEO. It's how do we create and optimize the blog post? And that's how we address that piece of the equation. Uh, and it's, yeah, by going through this process, you're, you're figuring out where the knowledge exists for the 10 to 15 systems. And, and now we've got a bit of a roadmap on where to start. So I like, I, I like how you said repeatable 
piece, the repeatable process, yeah, the repeatable piece, repeatable process will say for something like attention, because I do think, oh, that's something. It's like, yeah, part of this is also sometimes it's like there's a lot of things you can try to do. There's very few things that most people can do well, you know. And if you try to do all of them at once, well, that's kind of I don't know, a path to failure in a lot of ways. So and then so you want to figure out the things that work, and then yeah, they should be repeatable. Otherwise, there's nothing that I mean, there's it's really just your concierge level thing. Otherwise. It's funny, you address something, and this probably comes from one marketer to another as well. Mm. The first version of the critical client flow, because the systemology I've been honing and chiseling away for a really long time now. When I initially did the critical client flow, uh, I had attention up the top. The next line down was actually to get someone into my lead funnel before I went to inquiry. And I was getting people to think about what the lead magnet is and all that sort of stuff. But the more I looked into it, I realized there's no point in systemizing that because it's usually all done by marketing automation. You'll set it up once. And then once that piece is done, then you don't need an ongoing system for it. So I ended up pulling that piece out, helping to simplify it. And you're right. Like a system is just a series of uh, steps that are taken in a linear fashion that deliver a consistent, predictable outcome. So I'm looking for the parts in the business that, uh, you know, that, that make us money. The critical client flow is just about how do we systemize the business making money so it works without the business owner and any key person dependency. Uh, so, so you're right. It's, it's about where are those repeatable processes and then that's what ends up making it scalable. That's awesome. Okay. So we've gone through step one is defined. Step two is assigned. Step three, we haven't gotten to yet. I think it's correct. Extract, okay. Yes. So step number three is extract. So this one um, I learned from, uh, I run a podcast called um, Business Processes Simplified. And um, it's a bit different from yours. I I don't go into the backstory or anything like that. All I focus on is I think about what is a problem in business? Who is an expert or a leader in the space of that thing? And then I get them on the podcast and I say, how do you solve that problem step by step? And I have them go through step by step. I then take that recording and then I give that to my team and they document it and that becomes my process. So the very first episode that I did for that podcast, I interviewed, because I didn't know how to run a podcast, I interviewed someone who knew how to run a podcast and I got them to share their system for creating a podcast. I then gave that to my team. That was episode one. We documented it and then we used that to... Uh, end up setting the podcast up. But it's the, the lesson that I learned there was uh, systemization. It's a two-person job. Um, you'll have the person with the knowledge and the key normally. Now, the, the podcast is a bit different because I interview them. Generally speaking, I just say, record the person doing the thing. So you've identified the critical client flow. You've figured out who on the team has the knowledge. Then you say to that person, just record yourself doing it, no matter how badly it is. Don't you don't have to plan or prepare, um, just whether it's on something like Zoom or some sort of screen recording. I've, I've even had, I was working with a company, company that cleans um, roofing gutters called Portavac here in Australia. And they got uh, one of their um, young office guys. He was a you know 20 something, give it a go, curious kind of guy who wanted to kind of just learn about everything. Um, and I suggested he wear a GoPro and he went out into the field and he followed one of their leads tra- lead trades people around for the day, recorded them setting up the equipment, recorded them um, uh, talking to clients, processing orders, 
sending off the report to head office and he literally just GoPro'd it. Then we took all of those videos and then he came back to the office. We chopped them up into pieces and then he used that as a way to create the steps for the system. And then he took the the system that he created and he went back to the knowledgeable worker, the tradesperson and said, oh, can you have a look at this? Because everybody loves to edit. No one likes to write from a blank page. But if you say to someone here, here's a system that I've documented by watching what it is that you're doing, they'll happily give you feedback, which means it's much easier to split that and get two separate people, one who does the documentation and one who knows how to do the thing. That ends up being a bit of a game changer. And you layer in one extra little magical item I call the system for creating systems. And that's just something, a system that outlines how the system is developed. So that way, whoever's doing the documentation follows a consistent approach and then the output all starts to become quite consistent. So if you, you can identify a systems champion to run this, I've even, um, uh, for some businesses, we've hired return to work mum or dads who they re- recruit for a three-month project. Um, they've given, they put them through the systemology training or now they give them a copy of the systemology book and say, I want you to apply this for my business. And then they become the person who drives it through and meets with the knowledgeable people and does the recording and organizes the documentation. And it's just, you know, might be a three or a six month sprint just to get it started. Because that, that's the hardest bit in this whole thing is just getting the ball rolling. Yeah, I agreed. And then I think, yeah, obviously, then once you get going is making sure the processes and you know, systems are adhered to. But maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, <laughs> yes. I'm on the right track. Yeah, All right, yeah, this yeah. is good. Keep rolling. You're right. So the next step after that, so we've got define, assign, extract. The next one is, uh, and it addresses your next question. Um, it's this, one, this step and the next question that address what you were asking there. So the next one is organize. So now we need to take the knowledge and it needs to be in a place that's accessible and easy and something that everybody can get involved in, which means Dropbox doesn't count. You can't put uh, all of your systems in Word documents scattered across different folders using different formats and some are stored on some people's local computer and some are stored you know, in Google Drive and like they're all over the place. They've got to be one location. It needs to be in the cloud that everybody can use. It needs to follow a consistent format uh, and it needs to be easy. So you something like uh, Google Sites isn't the best option either because you want you don't want people to have to figure out how to code or um, you know do anything where it's web development. Like it's got to be so simple. It's got to be as simple as editing a Word document, but it's also got to be in the cloud. So that's one piece of it that we call that um, system management software. And then the other piece of it is project management software. So if systems management software handles the who does what by, sorry, if uh, systems management software handles the how-to, project management is who does what by when. Now, the, the, the magic happens when you put the two together. You, what you want to be doing is you want to assign tasks in your project management platform and you might set up templates and things like that. When you have a task though, you link to the how-to system that explains how that task is done that you're assigning to the person. Because then what that does is that tells them there is a way of doing things here. And by you ticking this off and saying that it's complete, you're effectively saying you've followed the process. 
Now, if they don't follow the process, all you're doing at this step two is creating the accountability. You're not enforcing. And, and the next step is more uh, the enforcing. And that's why I said, you know, but, but first we have to organize. But before I move to that next one, does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think I've intuitively kind of been going down this path with a lot of these things. And I, where I ran into something was, so we have our project management tool. I too have some sort of systems management thing. We'll say at least like I have like a master's SOP doc. But then what I also have is like a playbook or playbooks for specific things. And that's where I'm trying to figure out where the, the sweet spot is because some things we do again, and it's like a repeatable process. So there's the SOP. But then if you zoom in on a specific test, there's like maybe a repeatable process or subsystem, you could say. And that's like kind of the playbook. Like if I'm putting up a new sales page for a new offer, we'll have a playbook for that. A playbook, you know, for these different things where it's like, yeah. so I, I, this, I'm right, I'm, I'm cruising with this. And I think, I hope as people are listening, this makes a lot of sense because I don't have any clarifying questions at this point at all. I'm just kind of nodding along. I'm like, yep, keep rocking and rolling. Yeah. Well, um, I, in the book Systemology, I, right up front, I also speak to uh, definitions around what a system is. And I alluded to it a little bit earlier because you're right. People say playbooks, SOPs, standard operating procedures, processes, workflows, like there's a hundred names. And that in itself is a problem because uh, each one of those, there are definitions and, and there are differences in each. To simplify, I just call it all systems. Anything that is a, a linear journey that when followed will create that consistent outcome. Yes. Now that can work on the smallest piece. So that might be a very detailed how-to document on how to issue an invoice out of MYOB, but it also works at a high level, um, which might be overviewing a process and high level. Now you can actually link these overview systems and detailed systems together where you might have an overview system that then one of the bullets says, great, at this step, issue an invoice to the client and here is the link to that system. So it's you kind of start to mesh the two together and, and you're right, I create these overview systems. So let's say we used to do it in the digital agency um, where we'd create an overview system that would sit at the top level of the project for the client uh, because what that does is that's what your account manager might look at and that's how they oversee everything. But then they're assigning all of the subtasks underneath that to the individuals and the the detailed how-tos would live underneath those. So you're assigning out the detailed how-to, but you have the high level for the project manager who keeps an eye on the whole thing. And that's probably where you could start to place some of these um, you know, playbooks and things like that. And and I would say, you know, this stuff also works for people who are solopreneurs as you start to document your stuff. Um, you know, even like, I know this is optimal for sure when you start get, get to a sign, but I was just thinking about some of the stuff you absolutely can start doing even as a solopreneur because what you just become the person who's also the, the knowledge and the doer and the recorder. It's a little bit more tedious, but it's one of those things that I was doing a lot in the beginning too. When pretty much anytime I'd find something that worked, I would just, I'd be like, okay, the next time I do it, I'm just going to document how I do it. And then boom, I got my, you know, SOP as I go for my first iteration, I'll, I'll keep iterating. And to this day, that's actually how we continue to improve our systems. And like, okay, for this next launch, we have our baseline, but what we're going to do is we're going to go through it, kind of implement it as best we can, then go back and make sure our last SOP is like up to date. So we kind of go through like an iterative process. Um, it's a little bit, it's a living, breathing thing, the way I've experienced it. And, but anyway, this is, this is spot on. So, Keep rocking and rolling. And, and I think you hit uh, 
the nail on the head there. Yeah. Um, and I want to make sure it's really clear for the, yeah. the solo entrepreneur when they hear this. So um, you can get systemology and you can read it and it'll under- teach you how to grow into this and get it right from day one. But my biggest bit of caution for you, for the solo entrepreneur, um, is don't go hog wild on the documentation. All you want to do is very basic bullet points. You're really just looking for almost like a workflow. That's the piece you want to get. But sometimes I see people, they just distract themselves with busy work. They feel like, oh yeah, I've got to get these systems down because they're important but they're not important for you right now. You've got to get out there and make money. You've got to figure out a basic way to do things, but you've got to find product to market fit and you know get people through the door. So that's probably my, my biggest caution. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's easy to get sucked into that if you are a systems person, for sure. But yeah, it's like... But I also think... And it, it hits on that point. You kind of already said this though, which is like, don't create a system for something that doesn't need a system either. Like... I only do this when I'm like, okay, this is something I've done now multiple times. Usually, as when I was like a solopreneur doing this stuff, I'm like, okay, now I think I have like a good feel for how this should be done, and I've already had a track record of success, just kind of like winging it, and then I document. Yes. So I like to wing things a few times, and then I document. <laughs> and I, I say this in the extract stage: is um, don't be led to believe that you need to create a flowchart first. I see people when they think about systems. They think, oh, let's use Lucid charts and we'll create this fancy workflow diagram and they're creating all of these lines. Um, And usually it's a systems geek who creates them. They create them once. No one else can edit those documents. And then two weeks down the line, they figure out, oh, no, that's not the best step to do that. We have to change that. But no one can change the document because it was this one person who did it. So keep your systems initially very basic, just text. I even caution against um, putting too many screenshots because system, you know, software platforms become out of date. And if you screenshot everything, sometimes you'll get to a point where a team member, if they've never done it before, are following it, the screenshot doesn't match what they're seeing. And then they just go, oh no, I can't go any further. Whereas if you've recorded a video and they can see them navigate, even if the interface changes, they've got better context on what you're trying to do, roughly where you're looking, and it makes it much easier to make that jump. So I always say flowcharts and screenshots, they come last. And it's once your systems have matured significantly to the point where you go, great, now they're not really changing. Uh, and then that's, that, that's another way to kind of you know, save yourself some time. Killer. I love it. Okay, keep rolling. This is good. All right. So um, we've gone define, assign, extract, and organize. The next one, and this probably speaks more to what you were talking about as well, which is integrate. And that's how do you get your team to actually follow the systems and processes? How do you introduce it? How do you meet resistance? And and one of the biggest secrets at this step uh, is helping the team, like putting yourself in the team member's shoes and helping them to understand how they benefit from this systemization process. If you let them know that um, by systemizing this role, you know when you go on holidays and you come back and your inbox is filled with 3,000 emails because nothing's really been done while you were gone and then it takes you two months to, to catch up for the one week that you had off? Well, by systemizing, what we can do is uh, we can get other team members to step in and take parts of your job and keep things progressing. So by the time you come back, you just hit the ground running and you can have a restful break. 
So that, that might work for some people, but not for others. Some you might say, hey, you want to work up in the organization. Well, the only way for me to give you higher level responsibilities, we need to delegate the work that you're doing. We need to systemize it, give it to another lower cost team member. That then makes you more valuable to me. And then you'll start to move up the ranks. Um, so, so it's all about thinking what's important to the individual. Um, fortunately though, like in history, and I've, I've, I've never seen a better time in history to be systemizing them right now because the level of resistance, everything that's going on with you know the, the pandemic and COVID, everybody's expecting change. People are working from home. Um, they're seeing change in you know school life with their kids working from home and the way that they're doing shopping and everything's condensed and accelerated. So but when you introduce systems now to your team, because sometimes you'll introduce the systems to your team and they'll go, yeah, but I've always done it this way. Why do, why do I have to change? Like, it's fine. Um, and you can have resistance to t- um, typically with staff that have been with you for the longest, right? They're the ones that usually give you the biggest resistance. But right now, they're very open to accepting change. And you say, well, this is the, we have to change. The world is changing. We need to go down this systemized approach. Um, so one, there's less resistance. And the other thing to keep in mind is the biggest resistance happens right up front. Every new hire that you bring on board they only know your systemized approach. So you won't get any resistance from them because it's always, um, well, that's the way that we've always done it. And that's what I know. It's your biggest resistance is existing staff. You have to move through that. And there are some strategies in the book that talk about how to address that resistance. But that's one of the reasons people stop and don't make it work because they meet a little bit of resistance. But all I'm telling you now, all the resistance happens at the start you hit this you know, brick wall and if you stop and go back there, all the magic from systemization happens when you break through that wall. And then once you move on to the other side, it actually gets much, much easier. This is awesome. Okay, so we've got define, assign, extract, organize, integrate. Yep, two to go. So the, the, the next one after integrate uh, is scale. I like that. So scale now addresses all of the things, the systems that we didn't address earlier in the critical client flow. Because at this point now, you've got your critical client flow down, but there's a range of other systems that you're going to need. You're going to need systems on how you recruit people, how you hire and onboard them. You're going to need systems in your finance. How do you pay wages and how do you pay expenses? And you're going to need systems for management. You know. Um, how, how often does your leadership team get together or how often do you get together with your bookkeeper and look at your P&Ls and those sorts of things? So there's a set of systems, uh, like minimum, vi- again, it's all about minimum viable product. And I think in terms of each department, so I break the business up into departments. I think um, marketing, sales, operations, HR, finance, and management. They're, and then we, it's almost like we do a critical client flow effectively in each department. So I look now, what are the critical systems for the finance department? And the way that I do that is I just think about the periodicity. I think, well, what happens regularly? What happens weekly? What happens monthly? What happens quarterly? Once, what happens annually? And I think what are the two or three systems underneath each one of those that are critical for that department to function? And once you get clear on that, then you just go back to the earlier steps. You assign, you extract, 
you organized, and then you integrate it into the system. And then we move to the last one. But do you, any steps on, or any questions on that one? No, that one makes sense to me. I mean, so effectively scale is just saying, how do we take the, everything we've gone, gone up to this point to make sure it's across the board and all our different... Yes. Pl- plug all the holes yeah, effectively. Exactly. Because there's still parts of business that are recurring that you may not have documented yet. And so you, yeah, so, and that's what you have to do. You, or, or in terms of like a direction, like in, a, in terms of the, like say goal of what you're trying to do here is you, the optimal thing is eventually you do have all systems for every single piece of the puzzle. So I think that makes sense. And I think as long as people understand they can piecemeal this and do it a little bit at a time, then it shouldn't be too overwhelming. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's, again, it's the 80-20. We're just looking for the 20% across the board. We don't even have to systemize. Like, I don't want to get to the point where I systemize, hey, here's how we take out the trash. Like, I'm, I'm not for... I think the magic happens when you get great people and good systems. You don't need to tell a great person how to take out the trash. But you, you find out the core things that are important so you, and that's where I'm a little bit different. I remember hearing a story, um, I think his name, I've got to double check his name, Reed Hastings. I think he's the guy who own, was owner of Netflix. And he said, um, we went through a process of dummy proofing our business. We systemized everything because we wanted to make it dummy proof. The only thing is the only people that wanted to work here were dummies. And that's when he had this realization that I've, I've over-optimized here. Um, and there is a sweet spot. I'm not I don't want to remove the human element here. I don't want to get it to a point where we're, you know, a robot machine. I, I still want great people. I want them to think. I just want to give them a framework, a structure for the, the core pieces that have to happen to a very high level. And not only that, A players love to know how to win. If, you, if they join a company and you say, here are the handful of systems that you need to nail, here are the steps that you need to follow to nail it to the standard that I want. They like that because you're, you're telling them how to win at the game. So that, yeah, a big piece of that, that, that number six, the, the scale part is solving that problem. Perfect. Okay, awesome. And then, so seven is our last piece. Seven is our last piece. And this one is the one I think, uh, and it speaks to what we were saying, that I think trips up a lot of people. Um, the final stage is optimize. And people try and optimize too early. I say just capture what you're doing first. Get everybody up to a standard. Then we get a baseline in place. We can put some dashboards in. We see how things are operating and your numbers mean something because everybody's doing things to a consistent manner, which makes it infinitely easier to spot the problems and then narrow in on the parts of the business that aren't working. And that's usually where you loop in the expert. I say, get systemology in place first. Then you might identify, wow, I do have a problem with my sales. Well, go out and seek the sales expert who can then help you re-engineer and optimize just that piece or wherever you're having problems. Now, a lot of, I always say to people, the, the myth at this stage, because each, each of these chapters have a myth that I address. So the myth at this stage is um, don't try and um, systemize like McDonald's. Because whenever anybody thinks about systemization, the first company that comes to mind, they are the poster child. Everybody goes McDonald's. They're, they're an example of a well-run systemized business. But systemizing like McDonald's is today is one of the worst things that you could do. And it'll actually do more harm than good. It would be like trying to compete in the Olympics. You're going head to head with someone who's trained their whole life 
They're a lean, mean, systemized machine. And here you are, or at least when I got started, I was this flabby couch potato and I was going to try and go head to head with McDonald's. No, what you want to do is you systemize like McDonald's did 60 years ago. And where did they get started? Well, watch, you know, a little bit of homework for you. Um, watch the founder, that, that movie, and see them right at the start. They were trying to figure out where to put the tables and where they should put the mixer and where are they going to put the fry. Like that was that speaks to that thing we were saying earlier, keep your systems light at the start because you're just still moving things around. You're trying to solidify things. And, and at this stage, some, what you're looking for is a shift in your company. And what you're looking for is a change in the culture. You want people to think in terms of systems. They start to look for the system's solution. We do all of this earlier stuff. Stuff. It's part of the indoctrination. It's part of getting all buy-in from your staff, taking them on the journey, making it easy for them, making them see the benefit. And then what we want to get to is the point where now we all have a way and approach for operating the business. We look for problems. We think of system solutions, and then that sets you on the journey. Uh, and you know, who knows? Maybe in sixty years, your business will turn into McDonald's. But but you know, we, we start where we are now. So we're coming up to time here, but I wanted to ask like what, maybe one one question, follow up question, and and wrap it up here. But it was, it was, it take as long as you want on this one because this might be a big question, might be multi sided a little bit. I'm kind of curious because I think this is all great. I think it's all super straightforward too in terms of like how you laid it out. So listen to this podcast, guys. Listen to it again. Write it all down because. Even just what you gave us, I'm like, somebody could start doing this right well, now. Get the book. And it's all written down the in book. the book. And the book's in the so book. much easier too. Just get the book. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I've got the audio book. There we go. So if you're a listener, because I know you're listening to the podcast I'm, now. I'm a big listener. I did I it on Audible. That. Awesome. I even got Michael Gerber to read the... Four. There's a few Perfect. Uh, Easter eggs in, in that audio book that I've put in that aren't in the, the, the book book either. That's cool. So pick up the book anyway. I mean, I'm just saying that also just with this outline, I'm like, you could start doing this. This is like, yeah. this makes a lot of sense. But use the book. So I think this, this covers... It. I'm kind of curious though. You did sell a business after you had systematized it or will, will implement it systemology. Um, and, and I know you might not have like the, the info on this yet, but I'm just kind of curious like... Does something like this raise the value of a company when you're going to sell it or make the sale easier? 100%. Okay. And I've, I've got uh, documented case study. One of them's in the book, actually. There's one, there's a company called uh, Diggy Doggy Daycare that went through the systemology process. She'd worked in the business. It was a doggy daycare center, you know, one of those places where you go off to work and you take your pooch and you, you leave it there and they'll wash them and comb them and you can watch them on the webcam on your phone while you're at work. Um, so she'd been in this business, built it up, took her about um, 10 years. And then towards the end, she started to slow down and she kind of lost a little bit of the passion, decided that she wanted to exit. Um, she had a bit of a financial background. So she knew that an acquirer, someone who buys the business, looks for two things. They look for financial performance and they look for systems because what they want to do is they want to de-risk the purchase. They don't want to buy a business and then find that as soon as the business owner leaves or key team members leaves, the whole thing just crashes. So uh, the, the best way to de-risk that situation is to fully document what's happening. So I worked with her over a two-year process. She also worked with um, an exit planner as well who helped um, prepare a, a lot of the financial side of things. And then she ended up selling to a, it was here in Australia, um, to a national company who 
bought the business and they cited two reasons. They said, financial performance is great, but more importantly, you've documented it. And we see your store as the franchise prototype. We want to roll this out nationwide across uh, Australia. Uh, And they had bought it with that reason. And the way that I actually found out, it was funny because we have this platform system hub where we, we people store their systems and their processes. She unsubscribed. And I knew that she was using the platform She because she had about 15 staff. They were logging in regularly. They had loads of systems in there. And then she unsubscribed. So I outreached to her and I said, why did you unsubscribe? She said, oh, we love the platform. Um, and we just sold the business. And the, the company that bought it, because there's this big national company, they have their own um, custom platform that they built internally. So they just downloaded all of the systems out of System Hub and then they uploaded it into their platform and unsubscribed. Now, that is probably one of the first times uh, like I've really done a happy dance for someone actually unsubscribing from the platform because that is the whole purpose. We want to build the value to the point where it works without the business owner to the point where someone else would want to buy it and there's the real value in there. So the when the exit planner saw what I was doing, she's got really excited because uh, it's one of the least well-addressed areas, particularly when people come to sell. Oftentimes, people find that their business isn't worth much at all because they haven't systemized and they don't really have a business. They just have a job. It's And they, they think they've built up this thing that would be saleable, but other than just the fixed assets, like you know some of them with the bricks and mortar, that's their value. That they, they don't actually have a business. So she's kind of saying to me, hey, you really need to lean into the exit planning stuff because this is a huge problem. I love it, man. Well, on that note, people should also check out System Hub. But Systemology, the book, is a good place to start. I'm sure they'll learn about the software too, see if it's right for them, especially if they have a growing team. I think that sounds excellent. Maybe I'd love to have you get, get back on the podcast again. Um, maybe in the near future, we could talk a little bit more about that. Um, because I think this is an interesting subject. And it's kind of right where my mind's at in terms of like setting up the systems to scale and grow and get it optimized. Not that I'm looking to sell, but I'm like, well, it wouldn't be bad if I had the opportunity and just had it set up too. And to, to be clear, it's not... Um, you want to build the business as though it was saleable, whether or not you sell or not. Because then this speaks all back to what we said right at the start. That creates um, optionality. You get more options if you have a systemized business. I Melbourne SEO, I didn't plan to sell that business. After we systemized it, Melissa had been running that profitably for three years without my intervention, every quarter I would get um, a profit distribution as the owner. I would only have to meet with her once a month to talk the direction. I'm, the plan was to sit on that company and just have it as the side business. But um, she she had some family things that that had popped on. She, her family's in the States. She flew back to the States. For whatever reason, she had to um, resign from the position when she got back and move back to the States. So here I was, my CEO had... Um, resigned, and I'm like, oh, do I, you know, do I really want to jump back into this business? Even if I uh, had to re-recruit for that position, I'm going to have to train them up. There's there's no getting around that and getting them up to speed as quickly as possible. Um, so what I had was an option to sell, and I ended up uh, within two months, I'd found a buyer, and we did the. I, I got um, three and a half times earnings, which in the um, agency space is is quite good. And I got it just like that. And one of the primary things that the guy cited was it's a systemized business. It hasn't been working without you. Um, I'm happy to make a move on it. And and that is an option that I got because you never know what the world is going to throw at you. So even if, yeah, systemizing is good, whether or not you sell or not, 
Um, you, you might not want to sell, but systemizing at least gives you options and there's a lot of benefits that come from it. And I'll say this personally from my experience when I started to do it on, on when I started to create systems where the things were really repeatable and there was real impact and real results from it, you know, it kind of feels like a cheat code a little bit. Like, am I getting away with something here? Like, because it feels like I have to do so much less work when I was like, no, I think the reason I was working so much before um, is because I didn't have this stuff in place. I've gotten better, more experienced, all that, but also the systems because, and so then all of a sudden it's like you almost feel like you're, I don't know. Sometimes I feel almost lazier because of it, but I know I'm not. But it's like I'm like, well, what do I now? I can go focus on other things. I can go do other yeah. things because it's that all that extra time that would go into reproducing the same thing from scratch over and over again versus systematizing and going through this process of assigning and improving and modifying as you go, et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting. It's kind of it is kind of like a hack in life, for sure. And you get, you get to choose what you do with that extra time. I think, yep. um, and it depends on where you're at in the stage of the journey. Like I know some people when I, when we've helped systemize them, they don't work less hours. They work just as much. They're just working on higher quality, bigger problems. And they, it's kind of like they level up, but I've also seen other people who've systemized and scaled right back and they then start working a lot less and start or, to get uh, balance. I feel like I'm, I'm both. I feel like I work less than I used to, but I work on higher uh, value activities. Yeah. So it's like a comb- it's a it's the best of both worlds in a way. And you um, and you get a choice. Yeah. Most yeah, business exactly. owners don't have the choice. They're yeah. trapped in the day to day. They're doing the nine to five. They are beholden to the the client. Um, they are solving every problem. All of the staff come to them. Um, they are the chief problem solver. Uh, and they don't get the choice. So if they want to take a holiday, they take their laptop with them and they end up doing work even while they're on holiday. It's not a holiday. Um, And that's, I think what we're trying to do here is to at least give the business owner the choice. Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, yeah, the the time, I mean, I was actually, I think this is one of the first Christmases this year where I just didn't do any work over the whole, and that's like over after five years. You know, I was saying to myself, like how many years, like I would just work through every holiday there was, and by pure, but because, and I liked it, and it, I knew what it was for. But it's interesting to be able to take a step back once you start to get things um, organized around you. So I can't encourage people enough to go pick up the book, implement this. I can attest that what you just broke down, how you do it, it it's it's right up my alley. It's like it's exactly how I've been doing it with my business. Check it out. Go pick up Systemology on Amazon, probably wherever books are sold. But Amazon's an easy one. Yeah, see if um, systemology.com forward slash book will link through. Yeah, you get to Audible, Amazon. Um, yeah, there, there's the, you can get some preview chapters of the book, all that sort of stuff. All that good stuff that you teach me, uh, uh, Tom, with regards to book launches and how to make sure that they leave a review with a bank. That, leave a review and let them know that you, heard Dave, that you heard David and you picked up his book because you were listening to an awesome podcast called In the Trenches. Make sure that's on Amazon. And then forward me that review when you oh. guys do that. <laughs> yes, love it, love awesome. it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an extra little cool. bonus if you do that, Tom. Yeah. And then you, get, Tom, you yeah, get yeah. me a list of names. I will hook up something extra for your group for sure. Sweet. Yeah, we'll do. We'll, we'll give away some gifts, whatever they might be. I'm sure they'll be awesome. But if you're listening to this, go pick up the book, leave a review, mention that you heard David on In the Trenches, and then uh, forward me that a picture, a screenshot, or just send me yeah a screenshot of your review with that to Tom at TomWorkers.com. We'll get. I'll talk to David offline. We'll figure out some kind of gift to give you, or I'll give you a signed copy of The Art of Instigating. How about that? Boom. There we go. Ah, you're a gentleman. We'll do some. I got a bunch of copies left over. So there you go, guys. Two books for one. Cool. Awesome, David. Well, thank you so much for being on the trenches. It was a pleasure having you.
Yeah, pleasure was all mine. Thanks, Tom. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.